industry friends, and welcome to While We Were Waiting, a podcast developed to highlight the funniest, most uplifting, and sometimes even downright crazy stories from inside the restaurant. I'm Martha Madison. I'm AJ Gilbert. To put it lightly, our industry has taken a beating. It's nearly come to a complete standstill during this COVID-19 thing, and if you're like me, you've probably been receiving hundreds of emails and texts with calls to action, HR resources, and even shelter-in-place checklists. The news across the board has been bleak, and many of us have been remanded to our homes for the duration. So in my opinion, the travel and leisure sector of the workforce employs some of the most creative and innovative and honestly hilarious people I know. And collectively, I think we have some of the craziest stories to tell from our hours on the clock, you know, while we were waiting. Tables. While We Were Waiting is brought to you by One House Hospitality Recruiters. One House provides hotel and restaurant groups with highly tailored and confidential searches for all salaried front and back of house management, as well as all executive and C-suite leadership. We handle everything from identification of relevant candidates, a full screening process, including detailed reference checks, and we assist our clients with crafting a comprehensive compensation package that fits your budget while staying competitive in today's current market. What makes One House different from the rest? Easy. Each member of our team is a former operator with expertise in business and culinary operations, events, sales, marketing, finance, beverage, you name it. So when this madness ends and you are ready to rebuild your team, just reach out to us at one-house.com. That's one O-N-E dash house, H-A-U-S.com. Our motto has always been, we are one, and we are. In this series of podcasts, you'll hear from restaurant and hospitality professionals as they share with you their very best insider restaurant life highlights. My name is Martha Madison, and I am currently the Director of Recruitment with One House Hospitality, a full-service hotel and restaurant recruitment firm based in New York City. Previously, I was the Director of Operations and Partner at Luna Park Restaurant Group, and my side gig for the last 16 years has also been as an actress. You may recognize me as Belle Black on NBC's long-running soap opera Days of Our Lives. And my co-host in all things is AJ Gilbert, my business partner, my husband, my baby daddy. Take it away, honey. Yeah, my name is AJ Gilbert. Uh, founded the Luna Park Restaurant Group in California uh, for about 15 years. We stopped about three years ago. Um, I have a web and mobile app for restaurant inventory called Chef Sheet, and we were just about to open a restaurant here in Dallas, Texas, uh, when restaurants were ordered to be closed. Um, that will be called the Mayor's House when the restaurants are allowed to be open again. So. Martha, before we get into today's show, what did you do today in quarantine? <laughs> well, I did eventually take a shower, so that was exciting. Um, uh, no, let's see. I uh, I begrudgingly woke up. We uh, had some coffee, did some yoga, 
did a little school work because we're homeschooling our six-year-old kindergartner. Um, and then I took her for some PE and made her run <laughs> so yeah. I could get her to work out all of her excess energy. And, uh, and now we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. My day was uh, most exciting part of my day is taking the dog to daycare, which we believe they're probably going to close tomorrow. And we have a seven month old Vishla puppy. And if you're not familiar with dogs, Vishlas have a tremendous amount of energy. So we have a six year old that's home from school and a puppy and uh, we don't go outside much. So it's... <laughs> I just want to go on the record as saying I I was fighting the puppy. I I knew it was a bad time to get a yeah, puppy. You're not going to get to do that this time. There's plenty of on the record of you uh, wanting the dog. Uh, <laughs> I did not want the dog. Is it is it is it more annoying to be frustrated with the kid, the dog, and stuff, and have your spouse not be frustrated? It is it more annoying when your spouse is frustrated? <laughs> It is so much more annoying annoying when the spouse is frustrated. I will tell you, our dog will, you know, grab clothes and shoes and blankets and stuff. He likes to hoard all of this stuff and in, into the corner. And although it's it's annoying to keep having to chase him with that stuff, it is so jarring to hear you, AJ. God damn it, Winston. <laughs> Like, just stop. Please stop yelling. I, I, I am down to two pairs of shoes. It's preservation <laughs> at this point. If uh, I've tried to tell you to close the closet door. For whatever reason, you will not close doors. Yeah. Well, that's what we did this morning as well. We argued about closet doors and the dog. And uh, we, okay. we, we have at least a week to go, but we all know it's going to be a lot longer, right? It's going to be a lot longer. The good news, I think, for us, AJ, is that, like I said earlier, you re- we have worked together the enti- for the entirety of our relationship, our 16, 17-year relationship. So being stuck in a house together is not all that different than our normal life. So I feel like we have a leg up on a lot of other people. <laughs> I, I, I guess time will tell. I, somebody's going to eat their spouse <laughs> in all this, right? Somebody's going to what? Somebody's going to eat their spouse before this is all <laughs> over. I was saying, I think that we should invest in uh, um, funeral homes and divorce attorneys after this. Oh, that is bleak. I know. It's true, though. <laughs> yeah. On that note, you know, the subject of the show are funny, fun, interesting stories that took place in the restaurant business. Uh, the yes. stories that we tell each other, that we share after work, that we tell our family to give them some idea of what we actually do. Um, and uh, uh, let's uplift our guests, AJ. And that 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 will be fun to remember as we reach out to all of you to share your stories as well. Uh, today's subject that Martha and I have chosen is the fun side of tragedy. <laughs> um, we, we were thinking of stories that happened in, in our restaurant experience that revolved around tragedy, and I, they're not all funny, um, uh, but uh, you know they all kind of show how restaurants function in, in tragedy in the past. And, uh, you know, what it's like to be in a restaurant at times of tragedy. This tragedy is very different because the tragedy prevents people from being together, which is what restaurants do. Past tragedies have, have always if prevented people from having money or feeling safe uh, in the short term. They've always brought people out for companionship 
because uh, they felt insecure and wanted to be among their friends and family. So I, I think this one is inherently different. But with that said, uh, Martha, what did you do on 9-11? <laughs> oh, God. 9-11. I mean, so I was actually working in New York City on 9-11. And um, I was dating a chef at the time who owned his restaurant there on 19th and Park Avenue South. And so um, I was there and he got a phone call from um, what the guy who received all of his inventory every day and said, you know, I don't know what's going on. The road's blocked off. We're not getting our deliveries, dude. You need to wake up and come down and help. Um, and he was like, what? It was like 830 in the morning. And so he went and turned on the TV to make some coffee and saw the news that the first tower had been hit. And he yelled and he was like, get up, get up. And I went in there and and he said, oh my God, it's terrorism. And I'm, you know, at the time, I'm like 23 years old, a completely sheltered lifestyle. <laughs> I'm like, what's terrorism? What do you mean? What's happening? And then as we're like having this weird conversation, he said the other plane hit like on television. We were like, I mean, or maybe it had just happened, but they were replaying it. And we both just stared at the TV, like what in the world is going on? I mean, I knew people down there, so right. I, I just was freaking out. And you know, I, I don't know how long it took me to kind of get my shit together to call my mom. I went. I remember going to call my mom, and the phone line was busy, and it remained busy through the entire day. I was yeah, not, it was impossible not, to call people out of out of your local area for right. for most of the country. So we walked down to our friend's restaurant who I used to work at um, and they were staying open and, and we were kind of like, why are you open, dude? Don't you see what's happening? <laughs> like I remember feeling really judgmental at the moment, like how, how dare you be open right now at this time? Um, so we left and we went and walked over to the 79th Street Boat Basin, um, like out on the Hudson. You could, It kind of protrudes out into the into the river. And so you, we went out there and you could see everything happening. Um, you know, you could see the towers smoldering. Um, and we all just sat there and watched. And I remember we were there when the buildings fell. And so, and, and everyone just, it was just like this collective scream and, and gasp. It was just terrible. So after that, we, um, decided to go, you know, we needed alcohol. We were like, <laughs> we were like, we need to go get a drink. And we went to ocean grill on, um, 80 something street and it was packed and there were people everywhere. And we all just sat together and drank and watched the three small TVs in the bar. And I remember at that moment thinking, I'm so glad they're open. Like, right. I'm so glad we could be here with all these people at this time where we don't know what to do or where to go. Yeah, it's such a tough balance between <clears throat> the people that are working and the people that are being served. My 9-11, my first 9-11 story is uh, the day of 9-11. You know, I was on the West Coast and and was woken up and, you know, just trying to process the news as I was turning on the TV. I I, I still feel a little guilty this day because my business partner at the time, Joe Jack, called me at like 7 a.m., which, you know, was cause for alarm to begin with because, you know, nobody we nobody called anybody at 7 a.m. Then we were working nights all the time and stuff. And then he told me what had happened at that point. I think both buildings had fallen down and he was very anxious and speaking quickly. And I didn't believe him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, no. And it wasn't that I didn't believe his credulity. It was that I just couldn't accept it. And I, for some reason, all these years later, I feel this little twinge of guilt for, you know, him, him was doing me... Uh, 
you know, he was reaching out and my uh, initial response was kind of reject what he was saying. My friend Brad was staying with me. He had said he was going to stay with me for three months and stayed for exactly, it was the weirdest thing. He stayed with me for three months. I don't even know why, but, uh, um, <laughs> uh, uh, and I woke him up and, uh, at the time I smoked and Brad smoked and we lit cigarettes and we sat on the floor and we watched the news. Joe and I had to make a decision of whether we were going to open for business that night. And my thoughts were, uh, Several. I mean, first of all, I, I assumed that the staff wouldn't want to work, but I wasn't sure. I thought, you know, there's people that, that are alone, right? Mm-hmm. And are they going to sit home by themselves and kind of process all this um, uh, without being able to go to work? Um, the restaurant at Luna Park, San Francisco, which was the first restaurant that Joe and I opened on Valencia Street uh, near 18th, it was relatively new. I, I could look and figure out the timeline pretty easily. It was easily, a year old. It was about a, okay. It was a year old. So, um, you know, I, I I knew the world was going to change. I remember having this really distinct sensation sitting on the floor in my apartment, smoking with Brad, that the world that everybody had been fixated on was Seinfeld and Sex in the City, and it was and all friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fun and cocktails and dating and sex and all this stuff, and it was going to get really serious now. And how did a restaurant that was basically for people that like to watch Seinfeld and Friends, fit into what the, this world that was coming? And would we have a place? I really didn't know. I I, I really wondered if people were still going to want to just go out and have fun and get drunk and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was really concerned about not opening for that reason. I just didn't know that the business was going to survive this and whatever was going to happen with the economy and stuff. I, you know, there was just so much uncertainty. Um, and I, I will be honest, that was my biggest sensation is just the unknown. If we closed, what does that mean going forward? But I really had a strong sense that, you know, that that the only, you know, that obviously the, the death and carnage was in New York. What can happen to the rest of the country, in, like in San Francisco, was if we retreated, if we closed, you know, we needed to open. And I, 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 I felt like we had to continue on. This was our kind of obligation. And um, so we chose to open and I, there was some pushback from some people. And I think we managed to give everybody the day off that, that really didn't want to work. And uh, I, I really believe that there, the people that did work were needing to be there. Some of them. And was it you know, busy? Was it packed? It, it was packed. And, you know, uh, part of that was a lot of other restaurants had closed, not that many, but I remember there was this crate place up the street and they had posted a sign on their door. They said, we're too freaked out to work. Right. And, um, you know, there was, there was some of that. Um, mm-hmm. but I think like your experience at, at Ocean Prime, people needed to be out. They needed to drink. They needed to be amongst people. And I remember at yeah. one point looking around the dining room, it was completely full. And all we had that whole line of booths against the, it could hold up to like five people. Um, and uh, they were completely filled with threes. So like seven tables that could hold up to five and it was all threes. And, you know, it was unusual enough that I registered and I was concluding that this was single people who needed to be amongst other people and and their couple friends were taking them out to dinner. Yeah. Yeah, totally. We had a single friend that came and hung out with us too. It was the three of us. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that felt like what, what the restaurant could do, our little bit. Um, a funny story <laughs> if from that night. A is funny it, story, really? You know, you, you, 
remember from Luna Park that we had systems for voids and comps and who could mm-hmm. do them. And it was relatively secure, at least outwardly, that managers were the only ones who could take things off checks and what have you. And, and I, I was standing by the door and I, I think I was kind of looking out at the street. And I, I believe at that moment, I was probably having this sense of calm that the restaurant had worked and that people were working and guests were coming in. And uh, a man comes up to me and I remember that he was a doctor. And um, I don't know how I knew that. And I don't know if the waiter told me afterwards, but he was a doctor at the nearby hospital. And he handed me his receipt and um, he had circled uh, a salad that had been comped off of the check. Mm -hmm. And he said, I was very upset that you didn't apologize. And I, I had no background as to what had happened, why he was showing me this piece of paper, why the salad had been taken off the check. Uh, in theory, I should have been the only one who could do that. And um, I said, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't remember the words I used, but I said, you know, help, tell me what happened. I don't understand. And he said, there was a, there was a, a worm in my salad, and you didn't apologize. <laughs> and I'm looking, and it had been taken off the check, right? Right. So I mean. So what's all the problem? That he, right, all that he was upset about <laughs> was that was you my, didn't say was that the the maitre d had not specifically engaged him about this. Obviously, it had been taken care of against the rules of the business, but from his purpose, you know, it had been taken care of. And uh, I I said, okay, I, I'm sorry, and I I I imprinted this in my memory. I was like, you know, we're standing outside on 9/11, and this this man is upset. Right. That he, he, somebody didn't apologize to him when so, the underlying issue had been addressed. And I should add, you know, it was organic greens. I'm, you know, I'm sure it was like a salad worm, like one of those green worms. Right. That, it happens you know, really, all the time. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, like a scorpion I, or something. I think it's, don't you think it's like, you know, we're, we're having this national tragedy. Everyone is feeling pain. Everyone is feeling lost. Everyone is uncertain, right? Everyone's looking at the TV, like wondering what the next day is going to bring. And this guy is like, and no one's looking at me and I hurt and I'm in pain and you need to apologize to me, right? Like I kind of understand it that way. It's definitely a a sign of narcissism, but it's, uh, you know, he needed some love in that moment. I, yeah, he didn't. He didn't get it. I, I, I remember very clearly thinking, I'm not. I think at the time it was City Search that people would post their bad reviews on, right? And I, I was very conscious of managing our online stuff, and you know, I, I never wanted anybody to leave upset. And I was like, I'm going to let this one go. I, I really knew that this was something I wasn't going to fight for, and you know, he was going to have to go on his way. And because knowing I, you, that's a lot. <laughs> it's hard for and, you to do. I remember I kept the check and I, I, I'm sure if I looked in on my boxes of stuff, it's somewhere, I, I put it inside a book or something like that, but I kept it because it was such, it's probably turned yellow by now because that thermal paper, you know, doesn't last forever. But I, I'm sure I, I have it somewhere because it left such an impression on me and, you know, and maybe it's the sign of healing that, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, you know, people that come into restaurants can still be unreasonable. It's always our job, I guess, to accommodate that. But and maybe uh, maybe the positive way to look at that is, you know, we were kind of getting back to normal. It just seemed a little quick. Yeah. I do think that the, kind of what you said, I, I think through these kinds of tragedies, and we've experienced a lot of them together uh, in the restaurant industry and just in life, um, is, is this healing that comes from it. It is this 
when you get this close to crisis, you take stock of your life and you take stock of your business and you stay, you know, you, you really put everything in immediate perspective and you start working out all the stuff that you need to work out to clear the clear the way for you to move into the next phase, right? Yeah. I, I don't even know if that really makes sense. But like for me on 9-11, I, I, so I, ha- I hadn't really spoken with my father in many years before that. And I remember, you know, I kept calling my mom. I kept calling my mom busy, 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 busy. Didn't get through, didn't get through. And every time I tried to call my mom, I also tried to call my dad. And I hadn't done that in years. And the first person that picked up the phone, the first thing that I got through was my dad. I've, and I've, was, talked, I've, I've spoken with my sister every other day for the last two weeks. Right. And you you guys almost never talk. And so it, I do think these things really do bring you closer to the people in your life you need to be with. And and so there is some silver think, lining we, in that. We, we reflect back on our whole journey and think of the people who have been there. It's kind of a weird sense of kind of nostalgia coming into the present almost. Right, right. Um, uh, another funny 9-11 story is, uh, I, I think it was the next day, it might have been a day later, there was a protest uh, that came on Valencia Street. For those that have lived or spent time in San Francisco, there's not infrequent protests, um, but uh, people were upset and people were very concerned that, that the country was going to go to war. And however you feel about that, uh, uh, somebody chose to march down Valencia Street and stop the traffic with a, with a poster that said, uh, no war for oil. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, we're, we're trying to be kind of raw in how we do this. And my politics are, you know, pragmatic liberal. And I remember thinking, uh, seeing that banner, I, I don't know how that applies when they're attacking New York City. I, right. Exactly. <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't you be protesting this somewhere else? I, I mm-hmm. don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Valencia Street is really your target audience for stopping the war. It seems like it started right. pretty far away. But uh, yeah, we had uh, F-15 fighter jets flying over us for weeks after that. Uh, so they 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 march past and then they kind of do this loop and it's like the protest loop and you go over to Dolores Park and then you come back and <laughs> they came in the people that were leading the protest and they had their their sign that said no war for oil and they rolled it up and we got them a table and they, <laughs> they sat down and they, they, they had dinner and I believe they had a bunch of cocktails and uh, that was their night out. So, so I want to introduce my friend Frankie, who I met years ago when we had opened uh, Henry's Hat in Studio City. Um, Frankie was a kickboxing instructor at the LA Fitness across the street from us. And so I would go and work out my restaurant aggression with him and then come back and, and fight all the battles with uh, you know local building departments and, and such, getting the restaurant open. And we became really good friends. So everybody, welcome Frankie. Yay! Hi, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> so be- before we start with your story, Frankie, what is it? What are you doing now? Where are you working now? And what's the status of your uh, employment as we as we sit here in the middle of the COVID nineteen outbreak? Well, I am I am quarantined and laid off, so I'm one of the millions of Americans uh, literally sitting at home in my boxers, wearing two different uh, house shoes, both left side shoes, by the way, because I can't find the other ones. Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so I was working at the Oceana hotel in Santa Monica. It is a uh, five-star boutique hotel. And when uh, did, when did you get laid off? I got laid off last week. And, uh, and are, is the hotel open or they just had to downsize so much that they needed less staff? They, from my understanding, cause I still keep in touch with the staff there and the management, um, they literally have 
I think three employees working because they're just catering to two long-term uh, or long-stay guests that we have who are in the process of moving out. So the hotel will eventually be completely shut down within the next couple of days. And have they indicated to you at all if you're meant to come back after a period of time or have they just left that open or what have they, what have they said? They were very clear on stating that I'm going to be one of the first ones back. Um, okay. And that uh, it was in a letter that I received. Um, so I have it in writing. <laughs> yeah, but, if they put it, if they put it in writing, they're they're confident. That's a really yeah, good sign, I think. It is, and and that's one of my fears is going to be the the staggering of of uh, uh, p- people looking for jobs. Wow. There's going to be such a flood of that as soon as this is all done. And yeah. I, I just truly, at this time, honestly, I what that's what's giving me solace in all this is that I'm going to have a job once this is all done. Okay. And, and everybody will. I, it's just a matter of time. But I think you're, exactly. you're, what you're concerned about is exactly the big fear is that how long it will take. Yeah. And and I'm blessed to go right back into it. And I'm ready. I Believe me, I'm ready. I'm catching up on so much sleep. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, have you ever experienced any, any disasters in the restaurant that, you know, were... Well, I live in Southern California. Outside of the normal residence here, yeah, I've experienced a lot of disasters in our restaurant. <laughs> I, I, like miss, I miss the natural disasters. When I see the fires and stuff on TV, it makes me homesick. I, I oh know my that's God. bizarre. <laughs> I, feel, I, I feel like I should be part of it. I feel so left out. Well, yeah, I'll FaceTime you every time they happen, AJ. How about that? I'll, I'll, I'll help you feel like you're a part of it here. Um, yeah, we... Um, I worked at another restaurant right up the street from the hotel where I'm presently employed. I'm going to state that with absolute positivity. Um, and uh, it was literally on just off the Santa Monica Pier and half right. our restaurant hung over the cliff where the pier starts. So we had an amazing view. It was, you know, it was gorgeous walking in there every day and seeing the sunsets that we were blessed enough to see. Um, and it's, uh, you know, don't really think about it, but in Southern California, you know, we are known to really rock the boat with our earthquakes. One night, I was literally standing in the patio area that hangs over the cliff, which is oh all window God. behind me. Ugh. And I'm speaking to a table. And thank God this wasn't one of those jolty ones. This one felt more like a rolling, like you're on a boat. And for me, what was fun is that, you know, having being a native of LA, born and raised, I've been through several earthquakes. And no, they do not get easier. In fact, they get harder because you, your worst fear of being caught in the shower or an elevator or half shaved or, you know... <laughs> kicked in and i got you until half shaved i think i could deal with surviving with a half shaved face i i I got the uh, elevator or or shower right so um luckily but this one i was at work and it was you know in the peak dining time and um so everything starts shaking and of course you just hear this like wave of silence come over the restaurant as everyone looks around and i'm looking around and i just get a kick out of seeing everyone's face get so wide-eyed of you know what's coming next and looking in the distance and literally seeing every back of the house and bus boy running down the back (laughs) stairs (laughs) my table that i was waiting on she the poor woman was so freaked out she was obviously from you know she was from the midwest or from the south and she just stood up and she was like i I just i can't i just can't and she left and left her purse and her bag and her husband behind (laughs) and of course everyone's making sure everyone's okay uh there were some people who were so shooken up in the back of the house because I guess it was their first one. But right. you know, we did not need to shut down, even though three quarters of the restaurant left, you know, and it was dead for the rest of the night. Obviously, people did not want to come back. People left a lot of stuff. It was a good day for Lost and Found. I will say yeah. that. 
Well, what would you say to all of our other comrades who are sitting at home listening right now? You know, do you have any words of wisdom? What would you say to them? Hang in there. You know, right now we're all quarantining, we're all isolating, but once that, you know, the gates are lifted, people are going to be craving just human interaction, human touch, laughter, being out, eating something else that's not reheated, you know, (laughs) and letting someone else cook and wait on them. Um, I think people are really going to be craving it. So definitely in the service industry, you guys hang in there, be ready because it's, it's going to happen and it's going to be a flood coming out. And we, that's where we will kind of reap the rewards and just be patient. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Frankie, everybody, my BFF from LA who much like many of us is newly unemployed um, and waiting for the day that he can go back to work at the Oceana Hotel in beautiful Santa Monica, California. Speaking of Southern California, you know, we have had quite a few little mini disasters there in the form of earthquakes. I will never forget my first earthquake. I was actually at Luna Park um, in Los Angeles and I didn't feel anything moving, but I remember looking up at the ceiling and all the chandeliers were swaying. And at first I thought, am I just hung over? Like what is happening? And a bunch of the people that were working there were like, oh my God, we're having an earthquake. And I was like, really? I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. But we had several of those in the restaurant. Were, were you working in restaurants when the 89 earthquake in San Francisco happened? Yeah. I, I mean, I just moved there. Well, maybe a year or so. Um, I was 17, 18 years old. And I was, my first job was at uh, Tutto Bene on Van Ness in Pacific. Don't look for it because it's not there anymore. Um, there were about 16 restaurants in this company, and we had a 50% off discount that we could use to eat at any of them, which was a great perk at that age. And we had plans to go to one of the other restaurants that night. And I, I remember being really excited. I don't really get excited about eating out, but when you I was thinking about this- You don't get excited about anything. <laughs> I just was so looking forward to this dinner and the, the earthquake was terrible and everything shook and all, you know, our house was destroyed and what have you. And I was, it took me so long to let go of the fact that it was like my roommates and a group of other friends that we were all going to go out to dinner that night. And I was like, oh, the restaurants are all closed. And I, you know, um, but uh, there was no way to call the restaurant where I worked uh, because the power was out and the phones were down. So everybody was just kind of stopping by. And I think I waited a day or so and I went and stopped by. And I remember that they had all these rolls of quarters set up by the pay phones because they had to call everybody. And, and um, uh, the, you know, there was no power and the restaurant was closed. And this was a relatively large company. But, you know, now I understand that that doesn't really inform how much money they had or whatever. And there were effectively all their restaurants in Northern California were shut down. They had other restaurants in Southern California. You know, we didn't know what would happen. They, the, eventually the gas came back on and the restaurant reopened. <clears throat> and that restaurant went through a bunch of changes. And we, the location of that restaurant used to be able to get to from the Embarcadero Freeway, which fell down in the earthquake. And so the whole traffic pattern of the city totally switched. Mm-hmm. The uh, performing arts stuff, which was all at the near the city hall, had all kind of closed for earthquake retrofits and stuff. And this whole thing just completely changed the landscape of the San Francisco restaurants. So, you know, Stars, which was the, the time Jeremiah Towers restaurant was like the most popular restaurant in San Francisco was at the Civic Center. And there was nobody there because of all the earthquake damage. Uh, and they eventually went out of business. It took a number of years. But uh, the restaurant that I was working at, you know, we hung on for another year. 
but because people couldn't come up Broadway and turn left on Van Ness anymore from, from the East Bay, it had cut our traffic and the, the economy wasn't doing very well. And it closed. But you know, what came out of that <clears throat> was a lot of great new restaurants opened. I went to work at was the most exciting job I ever had uh, working for other people, which was a restaurant called Lulu, which had kind of opened and had this low cost kind of high quality thing that was going on that was really popular. And it was packed. And, um, you know, the restaurant landscape reinvented itself. The 1989 earthquake in San Francisco really just shook out all the restaurants that were marginal. And I know that a lot of people and hopefully that who are going to listen, you know, their restaurants might be in, in real jeopardy. It does come back. It comes back differently. And we'll all do maybe different things and slightly in a different way. But, you know, the kind of entrepreneurship that gets somebody to open a restaurant, or the skills that get somebody to manage a restaurant or be a chef at a restaurant or a cook at a restaurant, all those things cannot be taken away. The tragedy mm -hmm. doesn't take away the stuff that got you to where you are. And if you're not exactly where you wanted to be, it kind of resets that. I mean, the, the working at this place, Tutobani, was miserable. We would do 30 covers a night. We're all standing around bored. People were smoking in the bus stations. I mean, it was just not a fun place <laughs> to work. And I went on to, and this is me and my perspective, and I understand that there were people who lost money when the restaurant closed and all that kind of stuff. I'm not trying to belittle that, but my experience was I went on and had, you know, this incredible professional experience and that wouldn't have happened without the earthquake. Right. And, you know, I would have stayed at this terrible job for way too long, um, <clears throat> you know, and the earthquake really shook things up. I had to go. <laughs> but, uh, um, oh my God. But, um, boom. Uh, you know, 9-11, a tremendous amount of uncertainty, but, you know, we we, we came back and everything from that is now history and, and that's the, the cycle will repeat. Yes. I, I have a quote that I saw the other day that is my favorite quote, I think, of all time. Um, but it says, behind you are all the experiences and all the things that you never thought you would get through. And it was just like, yeah, I mean, we've, we've had so many of these in our life together and in our restaurant careers combined. Um, and yet here we are and we will be fine. And, you know, it's an interesting perspective where we sit, where we can look back to these moments in time and in our business where we felt like we would never recover. And, um, and we did. And the industry did. And we came out with better ideas and better opportunities and made some great life choices. And and so I do feel some comfort with that. I know that a lot of people I work with and and friends that we have and former employees that I know, like everyone's scared and and with good reason. And and it is devastating to see some people with their entire life work being just decimated. But they're, you know, the, the same thing that got them to where they are is the same thing that's going to get them to where they're going. And that never disappears. Yeah. I always say that, you know, that restaurants have no real value, right? It's a bunch of old equipment. You know, if you've ever been to a restaurant auction or if you've ever taken over a, a restaurant that's closed, you see as soon as the lights come up and, you know, there's just nothing there. Even, you know, like per se, I mean, they might have tens of thousands of dollars worth of silverware and stuff, but uh, there's not a lot of value in the materials. The value is in the promise that people will come in tomorrow. Right. And, you know, a crisis can extinguish that, but in the same way that the restaurant's value is in the promise of what will come tomorrow, I think that the people who work in restaurants, the value is really in what's going to happen tomorrow. And just getting through the crisis until tomorrow is the trick, until you can exercise the thing that, that 
that you do and do it again in some other fashion that's going to that's going to bring you something new which is a great time to pause and uh, and deliver our call to action there is a tremendous amount of need in this country and in the entire world if you're like me you've started to tune out all of the bulk emails you are receiving and you skip through the requests for petitions and hashtags you see on social media People who work in restaurants and the entire restaurant industry need help, and they need help right now. The only entity that can provide meaningful long-term income support for workers and support restaurants so that they can reopen when this is over is the United States federal government. Everyone should contact both of their senators and their representative, as well as the leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, the minority leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer, and the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Tell them that restaurant workers need direct income support and that restaurants need financial support to reopen after this has passed. Most restaurant employees have lost their entire income. Restaurants have lost their sales, their inventories, they will owe rent and other obligations when this is over and it is time to open again. Visit contactingcongress.org. Enter your zip code to learn who your representatives are. You can then send them emails, you can call their offices, Or what may be best is to visit their website and use their contact form. The government helps those who ask, and the restaurant business needs to ask for help now. Well, thank you for listening to our pilot episode of While We Were Waiting. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And you can check out more info on us, our show, and our social media by visiting whilewewerewaitingpodcast.com. And if you'd like to share your stories with us, and we really want them, just shoot us an email at stories at whilewewerewaitingpodcast.com and share your message on social media with the hashtag waitingpodcast. Until we meet again, grab a cookbook, kick up your feet, have a beer, but first take a shower.